You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined once again by Andrew. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, we've had a few weeks behind us. We're going to try and explore a slightly new version of the show, or shall we say a new format, just to keep things a, a little bit tighter so you're not listening to two guys just ramble endlessly. You can always just tune into the Joe Rogan show for that. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So here we are. Uh, we have a bit of a topic today, but we thought something we'd like to do going forward is start with a shout out or a little celebration of a local business. Yes, yes. Indeed. So today we wanted to give a little mention to JP and all the crew in Little Collins in Galway City and Kilkenny who have been enduring some difficult times lately. I've heard, but you're going to have to fill me in a little bit more on what's, what those times are. Yeah, what, what's so going on. I guess essentially for people who aren't familiar with it, the, the product they provide is CBD and CBD related products, um, CBD foods, CBD butters and herbs and so forth, as well as damn fine coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is not weed, right? Yeah, yeah. CBD. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem where people sort of hit a stumbling block. Weed as we know it, well, I mean, weed as it's known, not yes. as we know it. I've heard. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that it has two components, <laughs> CBD, which is the one that gives you the chill and the relaxation, and THC, which is the one that gives you the paranoia and the high. <laughs> more, more paranoia for people, I heard. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, essentially, there was a ECG, uh, well, European Court of Justice ruling, about what percentages can be classed as CBD. A low level of THC means it falls into the legal category right? and can be sold in a shop. They sell it there. They sell it in supplements in place like boots. and. So it's for people who want the mellow. Exactly. And not the... Yeah. Not the, not the yellow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the weird trip. The weird trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So look, it's it's a, it's a very positive product. I use it myself. The guys. Do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like in what format? Like how do you? Uh, I buy the the bud that they sell in the shop. Um, ah. I have a little grinder put into a, a dry vape herb pen, and it's a nice chill. Wow. You know, okay. It's good for anyone with anxiety. It's good for anyone who uh, suffers from sleeplessness. It's, it's good for someone who has, you know kids, a couple of businesses, that and a couple of, of side projects going yeah. on at the same time, not pointing any fingers yeah. at anyone, Jeff. But I didn't say, uh, it's, it's, it's like, either too much scotch, or maybe I should just have some CBD tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, look, you know, it's a progressive world, this has been happening in other countries for quite some time, the studies are done, everyone knows it's a good product. Right. Unfortunately, we're in this sort of a weird scenario here in Ireland, where we've decided to ignore the ECJ ruling and interpret it through Irish law, which has got a different percentage, a much lower percentage right. for what can be classed as THC-free or low level enough to be sold as CBD, which has resulted in a lot of raids of these sorts of businesses unjustifiably. But when you say we, sorry to cut you off there, Jeff, but when you say we have decided to go through Irish law as opposed to, mm. who's, who's the we in this? Well, I suppose to be fair is this too, like I, I, I'm not, point out individuals, but there has been raids carried out by the Gardaí. Right. Now, under whose direction, I don't know. Right. Um, again, I'm not familiar enough. I know that the, the case is currently being challenged in the High Court by the Little Collins crew. Okay. Um, but it's been on a number of occasions, and I think the biggest problem that they they have, other than the fact that they're disrupting their business, is that when these things happen, the headlines go into the paper as local man and drug seizure. Which yeah, is of course. You know, a real issue for someone who's a business owner. Yeah. Or in general, you know? 
And there's a lot of these CBD farms in Ireland growing these products. It's an organic, it's a product, it's agriculture. And the fascinating thing, and Waterford Whispers headlines sum this up succinctly, as they always do. They're great. Do, They're really, really As they yeah. always do the last day. I'm going to try to remember the headline. But basically, it was something like, Gardi sees one million euros worth of product that generates billions in tax money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good point. You know, so it was just like, just think, like you've seen in other countries the expansion of so many new business models once this product has been brought to market. And yeah. it's, it's a positive, it's a health product. Yeah. It's going to be good for people, it's going to generate revenue, it's going to generate jobs. And so I guess really it's just like, as the hashtag says, justice for little Collins, just a little bit of support for other business owners. Maybe people should educate themselves a bit more about what it is the guys are up to and what they're trying to do. Absolutely. Um, Read up, educate yourselves. Don't be scared of anything new and different, which kind of will eventually segue into what we're discussing later on in the subject. Do you know what? Uh, That's as, as good a segue as any, I think, you know? Perfect. Um, so transitioning from that, that's our, our little local business shout out. And we're going to have a little fact of the day from Andrew here. Yeah, well, Andrew has gone to the internet and found the fact. Well, um, it's actually... I, when I moved to Ireland, had heard about direct provision, um, but only kind of... kind of vaguely. There, there's a, there doesn't seem to be... There's some really worrying facts about it that don't seem to be as broadly discussed as I, I would, would have hoped they would be. And you know, one of them is the fact that uh, so many of the different... So here, let me just pull up the facts here and read it to you real quick. Um, there are, bear with me a moment, there are 47 direct provision centers and 33 emergency accommodations. And apparently of those, only seven are state-owned, yeah. right? And the rest are all private. Yeah. And that's our interesting facts, and we might get into that a little bit more down the line when yeah. we're talking. But just let that bomb detonate yeah. in your head there, that that's fact. primarily a business as opposed to a resource for people in need. The rest are actually all run as a for-profit setup. Yeah. And that, just let that, as I said, let that kind of linger yeah. like a bad smell yeah. as we yeah. proceed into the discussion. Yeah, which brings us kind of neatly to what the topic, or broadly speaking, the topic of the day is, and that's sort of racism in modern Ireland. And what brought me there was, and this is something we discussed before we came in here, is the mention of a gentleman with the name of Frederick Douglass. Now, for those who aren't familiar, anyone who's listened to the Blind Boy podcast will be very familiar with Frederick Douglass. He's mentioned him numerous times. Has he? Because I like, I'm, I listen to Blind Boy. I, I quite like him, but I, I, I must have skipped the episodes kind of inconveniently yeah. at some point. So perhaps you might have heard the episode where he spoke about like the Irish in New York and so forth back in the day in the early 1800s and the 1850s. And there was, I must look up and put in the notes, the name of the author, a book that was written called How the Irish Became White. Hmm. And essentially okay. what it was is like, you know, as first generation immigrants in America, they were living in a place called the Four Points, which was one of the worst slums ever in yes. the world. Yeah. Is that the gangs of New York? Yes. Is, like, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Doing its part for Irish know, culture. Irish, like. yeah, really <laughs> making us look good. Yeah. And again, just take a look at all the names that are in the Senate and the Congress and yes, well, so forth, and you get a pretty clear indication. It's only since moving here that I've appreciated just how Irish America oh, really yeah. is. Like, or is it one of my friends that likes to say, nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. 
on that note, basically what it is, in a nutshell, to summarise in 30 seconds, the Irish moved over there, they were treated just as badly, supposedly, as many other nationalities, especially people of ethnicity, and then they realised that they could become the top dogs by treating those ethnicities just as badly and earn their whiteness and inveigled their way into local law enforcement and gradually politics and, you know, quite a lot of corruption, I'd imagine, along the way, which is why a lot of the very bad people in America have Irish service. That actually, that's an interesting point that you're talking about, um, the Irish kind of finding their way by um, kind of othering others, mm, essentially. Yeah. Um, because, now I'm just going to, I'm trying to think about how, how best to phrase this. There's there's a really good quote, in fact, I'm going to pull up um, a book here. <laughs> it's uh, called The Reactionary Mind by Corey Robin. Um now, first off, I just want to preface this by saying that um, I'm going to make a what I think probably isn't the most controversial connection between conservatism and racism, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, because what they both have at their core is this sense of being threatened or being attacked by something. Something that, um, I mean, I can take many forms. It could be the something that feels like it's an upstart, like it's, like it's below you and shouldn't be trying to take what you've got. Um, which incidentally is also the, in many respects, the, the basis to capitalism in a way is the sense of like, you know, trying to retain your position by not letting those below you, um, kind of usurp you best as you can. And it's often framed as a healthy competition in the market. Nothing like a lovely pyramid scheme. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, but capitalism and all that aside, you know, conservatism started off with a hierarchy, social order, and it was like gods, king, clergy, and so on. And then when when Nietzsche proclaimed God dead, yeah. um, they had to find a new kind of god, and the the invisible hand of the market, Adam Smith, came in instead to do that. But kind of inherent to that was this sense that you let everyone else think that they are their own feudal lord. They are their own masters with their own kind of empire and kingdom and whatever. Um, and necessarily to do that, you need to convince people that there are others who are below them. Yeah. And that's kind of perhaps, you know, the American dream, the sense of you can have live off the fast of the land and <laughs> yeah. whatever is always at the expense of someone else. And that's just, a, you know, winners take all kind of. That's like something that's always fascinating, this whole concept of the American dream. It's like the, if so many people believe in it, like who do they think is going to be fueling their dream? If yeah. anyone and everyone can succeed. Who's left to be the regular guy? There's a really funny joke by the... Uh, it, he's called the landlord, Al Murray, the, the comedian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, he sometimes picks out people in the audience and at one point picks, out, picks an American and kind of says, what are you doing here? Da, da, da. Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> you know, American to the yeah. <laughs> to the UK where you started from and all that kind of nonsense and whatever. But anyway, he says at one point, he says, uh, well, we don't have a big American dream here in the UK. He says, you, you know why we don't have a, a, a dream? It's because we're awake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is ironic, given Brexit and what's uh, happened now. Oh my God, right? But yeah. That's, that's a whole other... <laughs> but it's, it's the... It's the it's mythos. It's the narrative. It's the story that a country tells itself to, to, to kind of preserve it, it. Its sense of identity is, well, this is where I sit in a big scheme of things and mm. so long as there's someone beneath me yeah. I'm good have you seen American Gods the TV show that's based on the novel by Neil Gaiman well I mean another kind of controversial 
I'm not a big fan of Neil Gaiman. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I like Terry show. Pratchett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> um, I like Terry Pratchett. Yeah. I suppose, and they both explore similar themes about like the power of belief. And yeah. I suppose the point I was making there, what's interesting is like the concept he had. And he, this is a book that was written probably early 90s, I'd say. It's I been, think it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and it was the transition of people from believing in the old gods to the new gods, which was like money and media and so forth. Yeah. Um, that's and very, very, very true and very prescient, I feel like, of where we were going, especially with social media and stuff without giving it a name. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the world's a scary, like life, the world, everything is an inherently scary place, right? We're all scared, yeah. you know, on some level. I mean, I don't want to sound terribly morbid, but, you know, we know that we've got a short time on this earth and we've got, to, we want to maybe maximize our time here and yada, yada, yada. But there's different ways of then responding to that fear. And some people seem to respond to that in a kind of, there's an element of, they're aware of the scarcity and they want to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, they, they just want to like draw everything into themselves. And it's it's like the, the the kid in the playground trying to collect all the marbles for themselves yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I would call that conservatism, which yeah. is an umbrella term then for racism, yeah. for homophobia, for transphobia, for everything that's kind of scared of something undermining that order. This is probably tried to say, I think we all know this really. What's funny it's about not- conservatism though, it's right there in the name. And yet like, it's not like you see them refusing to use mobile phones or online banking, you know? Oh yeah, no. Conservatism, but just the parts that suit us. Well, to return to this Corey Robin book thing that I was talking about. Now he is talking about conservatism. And so it might sound like I'm going off at a tangent and not talking about racism. But like I said, it's all I think part it's of it. Yeah. All parts and par- parcel. And I know that a lot of people would say, you know, how dare you lump in you know, center rights with racist and whatever. But I know, I know. Like, sorry, when you were giving me these little gestures, it's just like pretty much the same. Yeah, but we would think that. But obviously, there's a lot of other people who would say, "Well, how dare you?" You know, you lefty bastard. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I anyway, I would is the point. But yeah. um, the yeah, the whole the whole thing to go back to this book is there's a quote he's got here, and I'm desperately trying to find this as quickly as I can where he talks about, you know, ultimately conservatism is the feeling of having a sense of power or control, feeling feeling that it's threatened and wanting to fight for it. Mm -hmm. And there's certain groups and certain... So it's an instinct essentially, and so is racism, an instinct. Um, And, you know, at some point you've got to wonder, I mean, this instinct has found its way into like a political, well, a political movement. There is no ideology behind it. (laughs) It's a movement. And at some point you have to find yourself, you find, I find myself anyway wondering, when are we going to change the conversation to recognize that, to call it an instinct and to therefore question its, uh, its kind of (sighs) mainstreaming. Yeah. Right. Am I going off on a ramble here? Is this no, making no, no, sense? No, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, when are we going to change the way that we're, we, we talk about, teach, um, uh, discuss, whatever, conservatism, and instead of calling it something on par with, you know, socialism or hu- humanism or whatever else, decency. look at it more as a sliding scale. Sorry? Decency. <laughs> decency, yeah. 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 Well, why don't we look at it more as, instead of like a political spectrum, look at it more as a sliding scale? Yeah. 
of regression versus progress. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do that? Anyway, sorry, I went off on one there instead of... No, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, I guess circling back around, my point and what got me thinking was that here in Ireland, we're having um, Frederick Douglass week. Yeah. And... (laughs) I went way. Yeah, I know. I'm like, is that what we were talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so essentially, this is a gentleman who was a former slave in the U.S. back in uh, I think 1840s, 1850s. Um, became a free man and then was educated and was trying to rally the troops effectively and fight for his fellow man and so forth but along his travels at some point there was concern for his safety so it, there was a suggestion that maybe he should go abroad and for a while and kind of drum up support there and he came to Ireland and England to the tour of Ireland and England Wow! so this would have been just before the famine or just as the famine was starting roughly wow. speaking yeah I know right so the Irish were just about to start mass immigration to America among other things I mean it already started to happen but it was really the famine that drove all that so the man comes to Ireland, he ends up um, becoming quite friendly with a man called Daniel O'Connell, who you may or may not have heard of in Irish history, not to be oh, mixed really? up with Daniel O'Donnell, which is what a lot of people who aren't from Ireland do. Two very different individuals. Both names I haven't heard. Oh my God. Oh, that's Ignorance. okay. Well, one of them you can definitely forget. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. Unless you like crooners from Donegal. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I don't even know if he's from... Okay, I got that wrong. Anyways. <laughs> Daniel O'Connell was known as the great orator or the liberator of Ireland. He was a man who became an MP in, in the parliament and fought for what was known as home rule and, and initially was what something they were looking for to establish Ireland's freedom and then led to other developments that led to our uh, eventual transition to a republic. In a long right. journey. Anyways, he, he's a man who was great at gathering crowds and talking and um, really getting to try and educate the masses through speech since they couldn't yeah. really read or write. So Frederick did a bit of a tour with him of Ireland and his statement to the people of Ireland, this is going to be very familiar for anyone who's listening to the Blind Boy podcast because he talks about this a lot. It was like, Daniel Collin was telling them, when you get to the States, look for this man and his people. They're as crushed as we are. They're under the the boot of the British. You need to, you know, support them. It's a common cause, fight for the greater good. But what was just really interesting was uh, in one of the journals that um, Frederick Douglass wrote when he came to Ireland, he basically talks about like he's covered with the soft grey frog of the emerald isle I breathe and load the chattel becomes a man I won't read the whole thing essentially the bit that caught me was he goes I reach the hotel I enter the same door I am shown this into the same parlour I dine at the same table and no one is offended that sense of, of parity that yeah. sense of yeah and this is 170 odd years ago yeah and then oddly enough a lot of stuff happens in Ireland and then we find ourselves in a position where definitely in the last 20, 30 years, I found as someone who grew up in Ireland and I was born in the early 80s, it was uncommon to see people of other ethnicity in Ireland. And then yeah. that transitioned and slowly you start to see people coming in from other countries. And there just became this real sense of the other, as you mentioned. There was, in my mind, this big divide that happened where when we thought, hey man, we're rich, we're the, yeah. the shining light of Europe, you know? That we the, the Celtic Tiger. Yeah. yeah, 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 Celtic Tiger, yeah. Celtic Tiger, um, sorry. So we went from, in a couple of years, from the economist telling, calling us the, the poor man of Europe to the shining light of Europe. Right. And what, inter- what interested me was, you know, the Irish have gone abroad and done this themselves. 
they've gone and they built America and other places and so forth. And they've, you know, obviously been to Australia whatever, and they powered a lot of that economic drive. Yeah. So when things started to go good here in Ireland, all the Irish people didn't want to do the shit jobs. Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. And all those shit jobs got taken by and seemed to be okay to be taken by all the people who came into the country. Yeah. And then suddenly there's not intentionally, but a very clear delineation between people on lower income, lower paid, lower perceived jobs yeah. versus the Irish who suddenly start to see them as middle class, themselves as middle class and upper class. And I guess it's fascinating that we could have been where we were when he made yeah. that statement, go through our own great trauma and then come out the other side of it sort of worse off in my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Whilst there's obviously a, a rich history there with, with Ireland, I mean, it's fair to say it's not exclusive to Ireland. That sense, mm. of, you know, people from other countries coming over and taking the, as you said, the less well respected and whatever, mm. the less paid jobs. Um, it, it's true. It's certainly true of a lot of countries. But it's it's interesting that you know, going back to the kind of the sense of an instinct is that when everything's going well you might be a little bit more um it's like it's like you there's like two ends of this once again spectrum but i'm not talking politically here there's two yeah. ways of kind of responding when people are exceptionally well off or doing comfortably they can get fairly protectionist mm. and then when people are very uh were are down and out and kind of fairly downtrodden and whatever they can also then get incredibly kind of once again the kind of cornered rats yeah. kind of, you know, idea without wanting to call people yeah, that, yeah. but <laughs> that sense of, of desperation. So they're not dissimilar. Yeah. So when then the economic crash came after the, yeah. the Celtic, Celtic Tiger. Celtic Tiger. Yeah. When's it Celtic, by the way? <laughs> Celtic is the football club. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. right, Celtic Tiger. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, when the, when the financial crash came then, you had, the, you know, the pen, pendulum swung the other way and then you had mm. all these people who were like, uh, who had lost their jobs and everything kind of crashed around them. And now they've become incredibly protectionist and kind of mm. like, well, us first and our needs first. And yeah. and the common denominator between the two seems to be... Money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it seems to be that... That's, because I, I have a bit of a take on it. That's yeah. like, not being familiar, you might be familiar that we had a pretty bleak 80s here, you know. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, pretty bleak. Um, not that things were too hot in the UK at the time either, but a lot of that may have led to Ireland having a pretty bad and poor 80s. So we were in somewhat of a depression yeah. in the 80s, an economic slump then as well. And it was only in the mid-90s that the Celtic Tiger started to take off and it really right. took off in the early 2000s. But I suppose what I wonder is, like, is it the people who suffered through that period of the 80s and still had to go through it all. And there was that was not a time when we had an influx of people from abroad, a small amount, but not as much, to take up the slack and take on all those roles. Is it because they suffered through that that when things came good, there was like, I'm not going back, you yeah. know? So if, And they were then at the age where they may have had kids or their kids were starting to become teenagers or adults. And does that filter through? I mean, I suppose I should clarify here, I'm not like self-aging Irish. There's many fine people in this country there's lots of people who are doing great work to help these of people course, yeah, in yeah. these situations in the direct provision centres and abroad and like it's the same as any other country there's still a, a cohort of people and I'm not saying it's an exclusively Irish problem by any means of course it's not I'm just kind of curious to see is there particular circumstances here that led to this sort of transition from a country that didn't have 
a huge percentage of non-Irish people. Yeah. Not that we've ever refused people from abroad for our national sports teams, you know? No. <laughs> My God, like Irish soccer would be decimated without people. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting, it's, you know, I keep, I'm going to, I'm going to plug this until, you know, until I'm dead. Like, <laughs> but, um, instincts once again. Mm. Um, and by the way, I'm just going to take a quick side note here and say, I'm well aware that we're two white guys. Oh yeah. No, talking 100%, about racism in a room 100%. here. Um, and in an ideal world would have people from Mazi and the Irish refugee yeah. council and Eileen Flynn from the, yeah. the, the senator. And uh, we are hoping that like when things do settle down and we can get back to having a number of people in a room, that is, that is one of our plans is to get some of these people on the show and yeah. talk about their experiences. That'd be great. But for the time being, as you said, like we're, we're kind of talking about why the, the Irish and perhaps more broadly, the European response might yeah. be to people who aren't. I guess for me, it's like it's it's been interesting because in, in the previous business, owning the the restaurant, a lot of the people who came to work for us were people from abroad who yeah. were here on the working holiday visa. So people from Korea, Taiwan, lots of parts of Asia, yeah, um, lots of people from the Middle East and so forth. And um, I just started to develop this weird habit of just trying to find out what what their deal was, you know, what their story was, yeah. And, um, man, if you heard some of the stories, especially like there was a young man who worked for us who had come from Afghanistan, who had left at a young age and his, uh, two brothers and sisters were taken out of the country along with him by his uncle. His mom and dad got stuck there. One ended up in Norway, one ended up in Germany, one in the UK, him here in Ireland. Wow. Raised through, uh, you know, that system. Yeah found his way out, put himself through college, was doing wow. an engineering degree and still showed up to work with me every day with a smile on his face and was one of the most positive, just all around good young men I've ever had the privilege to meet. Yeah, it's incredible. And then you have other people coming, oh, I can't come into them, but hungover. You know, like you're like, yeah, come on, man. You yeah, know, get, no. get your shit together. Like, Absolutely. Um, it's well, yeah. To the point about, I keep going back to the, like I said, the keep the whole instinct thing and everything. It's like, yes, you're not Irish hating, and yeah. that goes without saying. And the instinct to be kind of to self preserve, to survive, is a natural one. So yeah. you, you don't want to hate on that too much, obviously. But at some point, it becomes the, 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 you reach a point where you go, look, however much you're looking to self preserve and you know, you're, you're scared and you're frightened, whatever. When you, when your feelings on something start encroaching on someone else's, you know, life and safety and whatever else, at some point you have to go, listen, dude, fuck off. <laughs> you know, yep. get a grip. Yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of that. The, the funny thing is, I mean, there's a lot of that happening at the moment. The big movement, I mean, I don't want to name names because I don't want to give, they're, they're not worthy of the, uh, the waste of oxygen. Yeah. But there's a move, there is a kind of growing far right in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of concerning. In every country. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And. You should look at Poland right now, you know? Yeah. Poland, Hungary. Um, I mean, I'm, like I said, I've said countless times before, so apologies, but I'm half Maltese and Maltese, like, conservative as all hell. Yeah. Um, you know, I was reading a book. <laughs> Peter, and now uh, this isn't a plug. <laughs> this isn't an ad, right? But I just just think it's worthwhile yeah. um, pointing this out, both for the sake of anyone who's listening, but also for yourself as well. Peter Gagan, um, "Democracy for Sale," and he's talking about how you know the the movement of the far right in in Europe isn't simply the fact that it's happening in different countries isn't a or, organic 
phenomenon. Yeah. It's being uh, programmed or coordinated, yeah. right? There's there's dark money flooding uh, throughout the internet and they're popping up. We've got we've got one group here at the Irish Freedom Party or something, is it? Yeah, just, I'm not even sure anymore. There's some... Herman Kelly, is it? Herman Kelly, who's, who used to be Nigel Farage's... Uh, one of his any PR sentence guys. that involves that is just like yeah yeah <laughs> and he now, he, yeah he now runs his Irish Freedom Party and of course he's kind of vaguely associated with people like Jim O'Doherty and whatever <sighs> else and yeah yeah <laughs> the only noise that woman deserves yeah and now I can't cast aspersions on I'll cast this. them for you it's yeah. fine <laughs> no problem I'm gonna get chucked yeah. <laughs> there's certain things that I mean aren't proven but you know his affinity with uh, a party like the Brexit Party. Um, well, the thing the is, Brexit like, if, if, there, if there's enough to have doubt and if, if there is aspersions to be potentially, then we all know what's happened anyways. Yeah, you know I mean? well, yeah. I mean, you know, we don't want to be liable for lawsuits or anything. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that yeah. he came over from the UK, set up something over here in Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, and the fact that there have been questions, Carol Caldwaller brilliant journalist asking about I don't know why I've gone off on this one by the way the yeah, point okay. is there's dark money <laughs> flooding around Europe but there's an agenda there's a, there's a the point a, exactly a point of decision to to push people in that direction and it's it's, it's simple I've had like way too much coffee for this hour of the night yeah. like so apologies it's, right. <laughs> it's the whole you know echo chamber confirmation bias people find what they want on the internet that's everything from racism to conspiracy theories to flipping whatever you want to you know but I mean look so there was a narrative uh, narratives that kind of joined society together were broken up I mean Margaret Thatcher came around in the UK and said there's no such thing as society you're all on your own yeah. you know um, Reagan was all about uh, I think it was Reagan who said ask not what you can do or what your government can do for you but what you can do what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country yeah. Clinton came along and said you know the era of big government is over yeah. Right, so this sense of being taken care of, of there being a community, like taking care of each other, was decimated, mm. and so everyone fends for themselves. So, is it any wonder then that people start reaching out for some story that can like unite them again? And of course, nationalism and you know heroism, and some of these people talk about themselves as being warriors and fighting for yeah, the Irish and, warriors. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and then they start wanting to oppose anything and everything to affirm their sense of identity and heroism and purpose. And it's all empty. It's all fear. Yeah. Event, I just ultimately. find the whole thing hilarious because that whole, like, we don't agree with it, we don't like it. You're like, okay, but if you defend that concept, then you have to also defend everyone else's right as well to yeah. not like you and you're, you know, it's like, do you not see the complete flaw inherent do in you your not entire... See? Yeah, <laughs> do you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I mean, freedom, that's another one, right? It's like, yeah. uh, have you seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yes, that is the, the one with Daniel Craig. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The David Fincher film. And, yeah. Um, there's a part where uh, Michael Blomkvist, the journalist, is talking to uh, Henrik Wanger, um, the industrialist who's hired him, mm. right? And at one point, he's uh, Wanger's going on about his family and saying, this is my brother, a Nazi. This is so-and-so, a Nazi. Yeah. At some point, he says, isn't it funny how Nazis always steal the word freedom? <laughs> and it is because at the core of the right wing is a sense of victimhood. It's yeah, a sense yeah. of, we're under attack. We're fighting for our freedom. We are, it's that cornered rat thing again. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 
at uh, what happens at the end of that why is that it's a sense of insecurity it's a sense of fear yeah. constantly but some fears are merited some instincts are merited and some aren't yeah. <laughs> I would also imagine that, like generationally speaking, even within like households and families, that kind of fear is much easier to channel through into kids and next generation than any sort of like positivity or I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for is here, but it's much easier to for kids who are raised in that environment to keep hold of that kind of, of hate and fear. Whereas, like you know, raising your kids in a positive and meaningful way, there's much more challenges out there in the world to push them away from all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But the fact that we were we started off with, right? Yeah. Am I getting too close to the mic here? No, no, you're okay. <laughs> the fact that we were we we kind of opened up with there about the um, the fact that there are forty seven different provision centers, thirty three emergency accommodations, only yeah. seven are state owned, yeah. the rest are for profit, means when someone talks about institutionalized racism, mm. that's what they're referring to, yeah. right? They're talking about a system that profits off of. And benefits from keeping certain members in society, and the same applies to the travelers, mm. keeping certain members of society at arm's length, undereducated, you know, uh, no uh, access to the to the workforce, to the job, jobs markets. Yeah, yeah, to give people a bit of purpose or meaning. or Exactly. Because yeah. it's easy to say, I mean, when I came over to Ireland, I'm sorry, I'm going off on one again here, yeah. but I'll keep it brief. It's all right. <laughs> But when I came to Ireland and people initially told me, I'll be completely honest here, when people told me about the traveler community, mm. and they said, oh, you know, yet they can be terrible to their dogs, they're terrible to uh, women, women are, they're, women, women are taken out of college, they're not educated, um, theirs is one of, uh, is a society of patriarchy and violence, whatever, I thought, God, they don't sound very nice. And, you know, they, they want to keep themselves at arm's length what I was told was they want to keep, they don't want to assimilate, they don't want to be a part of the community, whatever. I thought, oh, they don't sound too great, really. Yeah. And then I talked to slightly more uh, educated, slightly more progressive people yeah. who pointed out, well, you know, what's the message that we've been giving them at the end of the day? Yeah. You know, you're not worthy of, you know, we give you disdain, we, we look at you with disdain and regard you with disdain. You don't have much representation. I think it was only recently that Eileen Flynn, the senator, was, was it not last year, I think? Yeah, she, it's pretty recent anyways. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, is it any wonder then that they, you know, they don't have access to it, the education and whatever? They, you know, there's... Anyway, sorry. No, I think you're right. And that definitely feels like a problem that's going to like... That's even more of a challenge, I think, for to solve that problem. Yeah. Because, as is often the case with these situations where you have people of what's viewed externally as the same ethnicity within the same country, that's more of a challenge to solve than a real, like, other, as you mentioned. Um, I suppose to to bring a a point back to that, and from my own experience as well as two of the young men that worked for me as well, um, I I can't remember, was it Eid or was it what festival they were having in, in the Muslim belief after, you know, after yeah. Ramadan. But I remember talking to the lads, like, oh, you're going to, like, oh, no, well, we wouldn't go to, he was like, oh, because he's Sunni and I'm Shiite. And I was like, oh, okay. And I wasn't that familiar with the time. Mm. And it was only afterwards I realized that, as they mentioned to me, if they were back home. They would not get along. They would not get along. And yeah. they wouldn't even be, if their families had seen them talking to each other, there'd be huge problems. Yeah. Whereas when they're here and they realize that, as far as anyone in Ireland was concerned, 
it was all the same, you yeah. know. They were like, okay, well, we've got each other now, and that's it, like, you Which know. Which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Like, sometimes the, 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 the most kind of bitter rivals yeah. and puts in the same position of necessity. <laughs> so essentially the only way to solve racism is we need an alien race to show up and then we'll all just get on along because we're all human. You know? <laughs> That's my grand plan. You know? That's uh, It's as good a plan as it. <laughs> I mean, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, when it comes to really, like, you can't really affect radical change here, although... I have to say, as I said before, the younger generations are doing a really great job of taking to the streets and mm. make. It, there was, who was it who told me recently that when the Pope was was visiting Ireland, a bunch of people started buying up <laughs> tickets for the event <laughs> just to reduce the numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is is gas because if you go back to, I think it's like seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, something around that, right? Yeah. There was a, a papal visit to Ireland then as well. And there was a whole bunch of kids born around that year who became named John Paul because oh, that yeah. was, they were born because the Pope showed up. But like, you'll hear like people of an older generation talk about that visit, and it was the equivalent of where were you when everyone went to see it. Yeah. And like, like it feels like a long time when you're in it, but that's only forty years, and there's a big transition in those forty years, which is just it's not even two generations. It's it's those people's kids, or maybe at a push, their kids' kids, yeah. if even. Who are yeah. making that transition? So there is, I suppose, the message is there is a, a bit of hope there, and it doesn't take long in the grand scheme of things. But it sure as hell, must feel like an awful long time when you're living the life, you know? Yeah. What What changed in that time? I mean, ultimately, it's successive generations kind of getting better access to education, mm. breaking ties with certain institutions, whatever else. Yeah. And that's, I, I guess, the answer to kind of. Uh, I suppose it's like exposure therapy. It yeah. was like, you That's know. That's a good way of putting it, exposure yeah, therapy. It's, yeah. you know, people who, you know, started to work alongside and live alongside people of other ethnicity and people of color and people from other countries and then realizing, actually, to be honest, like, yeah. you know, it's pretty much the same thing, lads, you know. Yeah. There are different words and different sounds, but essentially. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, um, my, that's my message, you know. <laughs> I, I guess my. Then my, in 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 the similar spirit, my message is, you know, it's it, investing hope in a younger. Like I'm I'm waiting on, we're expecting a child, and I'm hoping um, to be contributing to a progressive movement <laughs> and raising my child right to know, um, to really understand that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and what right is. Yeah. And by right, I don't mean right wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean left. <laughs> <laughs> there's the right way and there's the left wing way <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> uh, so I suppose just before we finish up I wanted to give another mention to something of particular interest which might be something well worth looking out for anyone who might want to educate themselves a bit more on some of the stuff we spoke around or something that's pretty powerful it's a project called I Am Irish and you can find them on imirish.org and I'm just going to read the words that this lady has written here because yeah. it, it summarizes about it and I ever could um, inspired by the persisting lack of representation of the Black Irish experience, Lorraine Maher began a journey to uncover and celebrate a more diverse representation of Irish identity, questioning the notions of Irishness and what that means for Irish communities today. And this is a lady who grew up as a mixed race child in Ireland in, I'm not quite sure, maybe the 70s or 80s or so, and was a one rough of, time. Too. A rough time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the only, um, or probably the only mixed race child at the time. Um, yeah. 
they you know it's a great website there's nice pieces there um, it looks great I, I can't believe I've never come across it before I'm glad that you've introduced yeah, introduced yeah me to they it. did a nice um, series of workshops and exhibitions in the London Irish Centre a couple of years ago but if you keep an eye on their Facebook page uh, they're quite good at posting content so I guess you know it may be familiar as a concept to people who like the humans of New York humans of Dublin yes. that kind of vibe uh, except for it's powered by this one what lady great idea yeah so Absolutely that's iamirish.org if people want to check that out. Well, if you don't mind me, can I chip yeah, in one? Yeah, by all means. Uh, uh, there's a, a company called We Make Good. Yeah. Um, have you heard of We Make Good before? I don't think so. They're uh, a social enterprise. Um, I think they're, they operate out of uh, Dublin. Um, and what they do is they get uh, people who are ostensibly refugees or um, now kind of well, immigrants, um, and uh, provide them with a means to create work as a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like a, a artist's collaboration anyway. Yeah. Um, and they provide, they are assen- essentially the platform for the work pro- uh, created by refugees. So I just wanted to give them a shout out as well. WeMakeGood.ie uh, Great. Really, really brilliant. Yeah, I must check it out. I'm looking forward to checking it out myself as well. Absolutely. So, as ever, we'll put all that in the show notes, including ways and means to contact us if you've any sort of suggestions for other things you might want to hear about going forward or any questions for us for uh, other topics and issues. So, thanks for joining us for today's episode, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening to Creative Voices. This podcast is sponsored by Treebark Store and produced by Peter B Photography. For more information, find us on Instagram, treebark.store or at p3b underscore photos. You can visit our website, treebarkstore.com or p3bphotography.com. Thanks again and catch you on the next episode.